welcome everybody to Not So Famous Achievers. Weekly conversations with some of the world's most amazing but not so famous achievers on what they did and how they did it and what you can learn from their journey with your hosts, Will Christ and Robert White. Hey guys. Uh, welcome everyone and particularly welcome to our guest today, Beth Fisher. Beth, I, you know, I always wonder about why our mutual friend, uh, Chad, would introduce me to someone. And uh, in our brief talk before we got started today, I have figured it out. We both have a checkered past. <laughs> but uh, could you introduce yourself to our mostly business person audience? And tell us a little bit about your background and what you're up to and uh, what's important to you. Anything that comes up for you. Sure, absolutely. And again, thank you for having me here. You know, the first time I spoke to Chad, too, inside of about 30 seconds, when he and I were sort of volleying back and forth to see who speaks more quickly, I'm like, all right, I like this guy. I kind of understand him a little bit. So it's like, you know, like my long lost brother. Um, so I have been in corporate sales for 25 years and I loved it. I love people. I did all things sort of automating business process. I would go to organizations around the country and I would walk in and say, show me how you're doing it today. And let's talk about why you're doing it that way and how you can do it better. So industry agnostic is what I like to say. I would go into organizations of all shapes and sizes and I would say, walk me through your accounts payable process, walk me through your HR, walk me through your MSDS sheet, right? Like everything start to finish inside of an organization. And I'll tell you, I started um, outside of uh, my undergrad at Ohio State. So I was fairly young and I just needed a job as many of us do in our early twenties. And I thought, well, this seems convenient. And also, I don't know about business, but I'm sure somebody might be able to explain it to me. So I'd walk into organizations and say, hey, I'm here to automate your AP department. I think that means accounts payable. Also, PS, where are the accounts and whom are you paying? I don't understand. So I learned on the fly. And I um, very quickly was reminded why I loved all of my you know, international business classes and so forth and economics in school, because I love the idea of doing things better, whether it's personal development or professional development. That's where I was for 25 years. And then life, well, there's a whole lot of life in between there um, as I approach 50 next year. But my daughter, when she graduated from Indiana University, said, Mom, I'm going to come back and live with you. And I said, sure, that's great. She said, do you have to work? I thought it was rhetorical. And I said, well, I've been working since I've been 14. Why do you ask the question? And she said, well, you know, maybe we could hang out and spend some time together. And, you know, I'll tell you, at 21, I liked her a whole lot more than I did when she was 16. Um, and so I said, yeah, I can do that and tell me more. And she said, I think you should write the book you've always wanted to write. So I went to the organization where I was employed for 23 of those 25 years doing business process consulting. And I said, I'd like a sabbatical to write a book, right? Having never done that before either, they said, how long do you need? I went, I don't know, nine months, gestational period. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so I took this nine month sabbatical, finished the book fairly quickly and like inside of three or four months. And I had, I'm a big believer in giving back to the world. And so I was volunteering. I was teaching devotions at a local homeless shelter. I've been doing so weekly for about three years. And I was at a leadership conference and the HR director of the homeless shelter said, how's the book going? What's up with you? And so I told her and she said, you know how to raise money, right? Said, Absolutely. How can I help? I thought it was another volunteer experience. And she said, send me your resume. And honestly, you guys, all I can tell you is for as much as I purport and teach and share with people, you know what, when God opens the door, you got to walk through it. And when things change, you'll just know. And I'm like, well, I can't be a giant hypocrite over here. So I think this is the door I'm supposed to walk through. So 
So in January of 2020, instead of returning to my former corporate sales job, I came on board as the vice president of communication and advancement, sorry, vice president of communication development, which is now um, the chief advancement officer for Mel Trotter Ministries, which is a homeless shelter in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We exist to demonstrate the compassion of Jesus to anyone who is experiencing hunger and homelessness. So I took sort of my heart and my you guys, listen, you're not just a homeless person. You're not just a divorced person. You're not just a cancer survivor. My book is about labels. I hate labels. I think they're useless. So I would say to people, look, this is an adversity in life that you're going through, but how do we help you get through this? So I took that sort of passion, combined it with my 25 years of raising money and in helping business process. And that is what I do today. Wow. What an introduction. <laughs> well, I have one for, I have one for you, Beth, and that's to introduce my partner in uh, crime or contribution, depending on the day, and that's Will Chris. I identify more, I, I guess, with the business side of you, and I think uh, Will might identify more with uh, getting out in the world and doing a lot of good for people. So, Will? Sure, uh, Beth. Uh, my, my wife is uh, the director, the leader uh, of a homeless, uh, not a, well, tell you a little bit about what she's doing. She is uh, in charge of an outreach center for the Episcopal Church in Riverside, California. And uh, they are, let's see, six months, seven months away from having completed an $8 million project to put 50 uh, units on the property that will take uh, homeless people and uh, put them in long-term supportive housing. Excellent. I love it. Very good. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know that's that's the way she runs. When when I ask her to uh, sit down and do planning for the next six months, three years, she says I don't work that way. I I don't I just don't work that way. She says I do what, uh, you know what I'm called to do every day, and I believe it'll all happen. And she's the she is awesome. I mean, I I think everybody who's working in in uh, uh, outreach today uh, with homeless folks, you're all awesome. You're doing great work. <laughs> well, that completes our podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to hear. I want to hear the, some some of the stories about about the effect of of working with people. Uh, what kinds of changes have you seen with people who are coming? Well. You know, first and foremost, I hear the story about your wife, and um, I, I, I love it on a personal level, but honestly, we say this frequently here, that what we endeavor to do is to work ourselves out of a job, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I wish this was not still what we are, are dealing with in the world, and we know, especially here in our country, that numbers are continuing to climb. And so, you know, the changes that we've seen here, I can speak about what we've seen here, is that we're not exempt from the increases in numbers. but what we have implemented is not just sort of, um, I guess the derogatory term is three hots in a cot. Like we're not just about, hey, let's feed people, put them in, under a bed and go, well, at least it's better than being outside. Because that that's not what Jesus did, right? Like, so I, I go down this whole path of really, well, if that was your dad or your mom or your brother or your sister, would it be good enough for them? Because there's this whole sort of um, divide that I was ill prepared for when I came here as um, also rang the communication department. I thought, well, I better get a rain on my Italian here pretty quickly because some of the things that people say and sort of think, right, incorrectly, um, but not not 
from a place of ill intent or malintent, from a place that they just don't know, right? So part of what we do here is to educate. And so what we're doing here is sort of going about the, the situation, the circumstance of homelessness from a holistic approach. How do we get upstream and do diversion, right? How do we divert people in the first place from becoming homeless? Um, so we go into a lot of the schools and we are saying, you know, this is what we can do to help a family. Many people are paycheck to paycheck. We know that COVID exacerbated this quite a bit. And so what we're saying is, can we help you by paying for the radiator in your one car that your one parent of the family takes to work every day so that you don't have to make the difficult decision between doing that and feeding your family or paying the rent? So those are things that we're trying to help with to get upstream to prevent that. And then on down the line, we, we say from a case management perspective, are you in need of a job? Uh, do you have an addiction that needs to sort of be overcome? And then we go through an addiction recovery program. Um, but is it workforce development? Is it a lack of relationships? And I'll tell you, 99% that we found uh, of homeless people experiencing homelessness do so not because first they run out of money, they run out of relationships. It's not a lack of money, it's a lack of relationships and support. If any of us couldn't pay a bill, we would not end up staying here tonight. We have people in our world that would say, you know what, come stay with me till you get back on your feet. So we're trying to put those support systems in place as well and come alongside people and walk with them and see them as people who are made in the image of God instead of, quote, just a homeless person who should just pull themselves up by the proverbial bootstraps and get a job. So much more to it than that. So your systems background, uh, I can hear it in, in all of that sharing. That's wonderful. Well, one of, one of the things that that uh, that's occurred to me in the past uh, three years is is we have this picture and and I was taught this picture of uh, the path for a successful American male is to get a job, become self-supporting, uh, and and make contributions, and and that meant success meant separating yourself from your family. Uh, going to where the jobs are and being successful at that. And anything less than that is broken. And, and, and that's, that's not, <laughs> that is not the only way to be. <laughs> no, and I appreciate so much that you said that, you know, societal expectations, expectations coming from any external source really has been my personal experience. What got me off course for many, many years of my life, I was making decisions based upon what you just shared from a male perspective. Well, from a female perspective, it was also, right? I graduated from Ohio State, the Ohio State University, um, in early night in the 1990s. I grew up in the 80s. And I'm a checklist girl, right? I'm a type three on the Enneagram. I'm a, a high DI on the disc profile, right? Like I'm just like, go get things done. So for me, when I graduated, I thought, well, what's next? What am I quote, supposed to do next? What are the expectations of me now? Because I was I just turned 21 years old. I didn't know, right? I just, I blinked and I looked back and I was still in a Trans Am rolling around my high school and saying, okay, well, where's the prom? And how do I win this basketball game? I was still very, very immature um, experientially as we all are at 21. But I didn't know that because the drive inside of me was saying, go do more, do something else, be grand. And I thought, well, okay, the next thing on my list is you're supposed to get married. Now, I laugh and jest because I adore my daughter's dad. He's a good guy. He loves her very much, but we had no business getting married at all, <laughs> at all. 
so it was short lived. Um, and thankfully, Olivia, you know, came out of that marriage. And um, obviously, she's the light of my life. She turns 25 next month. But I was in no position to be making decisions based upon what external expectations dictated for me because I didn't even know who me was. I didn't know myself then. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly do now. And I make no apologies. But back then, I was like, I'm sorry. What should I do? I didn't know. I didn't know. And I didn't have a lot of guides to show me because I had, I would say, too many, too much noise. You know how, like, if you're in a conference room and you're trying to come to some sort of conclusion, what should we do with this business operation? And you've got 86 leaders in the room, all with different ideas. <laughs> That's how I felt. I thought, well, from what knowledge base do I pull from to make this next decision about my life instead of saying well it's God you know I didn't know that because I didn't read the Bible at that point in my life I grew up Catholic I read Mithilat I didn't know Paul was a real dude I didn't have the story so I didn't have the wherewithal to say what do I really want to do what is better question what am I designed to do what am I meant to do why am I here Mm -hmm. another way of talking about this what's my unique ability and my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and, and why did and, uh why did God put this unique one of one person uh here in the world to uh deal with it and is it grounded in anything? Um, yeah, and, and those eighty-six voices are really in our head, right? Uh yeah. and 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 it, it seems to me that that part of what what I learned was it's silencing those voices by meditation it's by sitting quietly it's by and prayer is not do this for me god prayer is is where am i and what am i what am i being called to do next and 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 you know we we call that god we can call that the universe we could a lot of different ways of talking about it but it really does have to do with being open to hear that interface between the world and this unique person that I am out of the 9 billion people, there's only me. Right, right. And I think so many of us um, know that from an early age. I certainly knew who I was from an early age. I was the girl that was like, um, well, why does the boy get to throw the football when he can't spiral it? I'll take it. I'll figure it out, right? Like this, I want to win the game. If the goal is to win the game, what's with the gender disparity? What's Who made the rules? That was always my question. You know. Um, why is Father Mike, as an example, preaching when I've heard this woman preach before? I'd rather listen to her, right? Like if if I'm going to be inspired in a certain way, um, there are, are things that relate to me that do not necessarily relate to other people. And that is okay because we are uniquely and wonderfully made. But I didn't get that message. I got the message of in the 80s, you know, go take a home ec class and make sure you know how to cook and sew. And I'm like, Oh, for Pete's sakes, is there a barter system here? Like, how about I write something for somebody? Is there a speech class? We'll figure this out collectively. Because I do think that if you look at the disciples, as an example, right? Um, people say, well, you would have been Peter. I'm like, okay, thank you. But in the main, it's they were all uniquely gifted with certain skill sets individually that made them the 12 disciples of Jesus, right? The people that were going out into the world to get things done. It's no different on teams and organizations. It's no different in churches and family structures. It is, are you showing up authentically and unapologetically? For a lot of years, you guys, boy, did I apologize. Because as you might imagine, I'm a little off-putting at times to people because I have a lot of words and, <laughs> and, a, and a lot of opinions. And if th- those did not jive with what 
teacher said or parental figure said or anybody who was older and uh, thought to be wiser, then I was just shushed. I was, you know, I was to be seen and not heard. And when well, that, uh, that, that's sort of like uh, when, when, when you talk about the 12, 12 disciples, it's sort of like, where's Mary Magdalene? Uh, she was uh, sort of shushed mm-hmm. historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't shushed when she went to the tomb, but somehow uh, it, it became a, kind of a male world. Well, and this is, you know, I... I hope you know how I feel at this point with the 66 books of scripture. And I think it's the greatest love story of all time. And I think that it, it is my compass at this point in life. Uh-huh. I also think there, there's a lot of patriarchy woven through there. <laughs> yes. that, that I did not have the language or the agency um, or the permission to, to talk about when I grew up. I had so many questions. I am an inherent questioner. Yeah. And I was not allowed to do that in church or in CCD because it was, well, this is just the way it is. And I'm against it. According to whom, like, <laughs> yeah, this is the way we want it to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, but I have questions. Time out. I have questions. If you're telling me thou shall not do this when I'm 17, I just saw Father Mike doing it over here. But like, I don't understand. I, I, yeah. Like, what are the rules? And yeah. why are there rules if you made them? Uh, uh, a, lot of, a, lot of those, a lot of those things, uh, we, we discover like bumps in the carpet, right? That bump in the carpet. What is that bump under there? Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. But over the past 25, 30 years, we've been pulling the carpet back to take a look and discover all of these pieces, all of these things that were thrown, that the carpets were thrown over to hide them from us. And 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 that's so much a part of how how individuals grow as well as cultures grow uh, into understanding all those things that somehow got thrown under the carpet. You know, uh, Beth, I, uh, in my work, I, I work with organizations where there is uh, missing focus or missing alignment or missing commitment as a general statement. And you probably know more about systems in your little finger than I do in my entire body. I mean, I've lucked into some that work for me and for businesses that I've run. But it doesn't come from a deep understanding of systems. But one of the things I notice with my clients is that when they attempt to make a change to, uh, you know, and it could be as as subjective as being more heart-centered or more uh, human in the workplace, but it also could be installing a new computer system or a new HR uh, flow, all, all these things that just totally confuse me. When you were in those situations, I, I, and oh, and what I see is, the, the amount of resistance to change around systems is awesome. It, it's it's scary <laughs> and it's amusing and it's it's a lot of things. But it I, it just seems to me that with my clients and and other situations that I see that uh, getting through it as a team and actually producing the result that they probably have already spent a lot of money on seems to to me that it is. There's a lot of personal things that get in the way of making a change, even when everybody agrees that the, the change is needed. What have you learned? I mean, I, I can tell you've been out there a lot, and I'm guessing you've confronted this. Yes, and I love the question. Um, and I'll tell you, I actually did it here. One of the very first things I did when I came here in January of 2020 is I took one look at the CRM system, and I thought, who said this is a good idea? Like, who? Why is this here? If our goal is to raise revenue 
increased donors, then this tool is not going to do it. And yet, as you can imagine, to your point, I had just inherited a team. Uh, they were resistant to change anyway. The turnover in nonprofit, as we know, you know, nationwide is very high. And so I had to do several things at once. I had to say, okay, trust me. Let me help unify this team. Um, let's go through change together. NOPS, let's just rip out a 17-year system. And trust me, it's going to be fun. <laughs> so, you know, people were looking like, okay, who hired her and when is she going to go? Instead, what I did, and this is why I'm a big firm believer in, is that right? all of our experience leads to where we're going. It's just, it, you don't know it while you're going through it. I didn't know 27 years ago that I'd be here today doing what I had, you know, had done for, for that long. And so the resistance is just a fear of the unknown. What's this going to do to my job? What will this do? Will I have to work harder? Oh, some people might say, well, you know, I was kind of getting away with this thing over here and there wasn't a lot of accountability or big brother. And now with a new system, they might know what I'm really doing. All of the above is true. And I have found that if you look at people and have them come alongside you in that decision-making process, tell me what you like and don't like today. I still do consulting on the side because I care so, I can't get away from this. I love business and people so much. And I'll say, show me how you do it today. What do you like and not like? What is the biggest headache for you? And let's talk about those things. Let's lean into those things, not to overuse the term, but let's let's not avoid them. Let's go after them and fix them because everything is fixable. And so when you when people start to say, okay, now I can understand and be part of that talk track and that big solution, then you have sort of buying along the way. And I'll tell you, we did it here as a team and it, it's been great. Our revenue has increased. The, the camaraderie has increased. It has been one of the best things that we've done. It didn't happen overnight. But it took intentionality and it took people to say, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to believe in the greater good here because we have somebody who is communicating clearly. I always say, clear communication is kind, not harsh. <laughs> you know, you might not like what I'm saying, but aren't you glad you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you, you know, it, it's where it goes hand in hand. I have found that just that the more communicative you are in that process and bring people alongside and ask them, don't tell them, right? Like I took that feedback and I said, I hear you. This might not make sense, big picture. Would this work instead? Let's come to this agreement together. Patrick Lencioni is one of my all-time guys. I've read a lot of books on the guy, right? And so I think we all have hungry, humble, and smart, people smart. If you have somebody who is just hungry for the mission, for the job, for the organization, great. Can't teach it. It's, it's, it's in there. Do they have a heart for serving? Do they have a heart for what they're doing? And are they people smart? For years, I taught sales training. And people would always say to me, well, you could just hire this person because they understand technology. And I'll say, well, they might understand technology, but if you don't want to talk to them, nobody else does either, right? If they are, you can teach process, you can teach product, you cannot teach somebody to be a people person. Again, it goes back to how did God make us? And my daughter, who's very introverted, shocking, but she says things to me, to my mom, at one point in time when we were like this, when she was a teenage girl, and I could not communicate well to her. And she, it didn't dawn on me. I was too close to the situation. And she said to me, mom, the world needs people like me too. Everybody's not just all, ah, and talking all the time. She goes, that's good you do that. She goes, it makes me kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, that really helped me to understand myself better was I was part of the Sandler training mm -hmm. network, right? And and uh, I, was, I was that for 18 years. But for the first two years, when I would go to the quarterly conferences, and all the people would stand up, you know, the people who were very successful would stand up and talk about all the great things that they were doing. And I discovered that they were all 
high Ds in the disc, right? And and then it, it, it occurred to me, oh my goodness, I have to become a D in order to be successful in this until my coach said, stop. You're only listening to the people who are talking. <laughs> Go look at, and he gave me five people and talk to them. They are like you, they are high S's. And they're going to be listening not talking. They're going to be relating to each other. They're going to be paying attention to other people. And he said those high Ds, they're not paying attention to anybody other than themselves and the things that they want to do. And that was that was a huge understanding for me that that my world is one of relationships, not a high D, always on performance, go, 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 get it, get it, get it. And, and, and people, you know, people, there are people in, in my current EOS community who, who don't understand that you don't have to have 30 or 40 clients. You just kill yourself doing that. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a reasonable limit to how many clients you can actually have and pay attention to. And it's, it's really helping people to discover who they really are and, and what they do. But of course, that's, that's an S, not a D. Well, let's uh, uh, pay attention to uh, Paul, who's nudging me about a break. And uh, uh, Beth, if uh, in the remaining minutes we have today, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you could share anything that you're seeing for people that uh, want to really lead from wherever they are in organizations. Our, our audience are primarily made up of people that are running something. Yeah, and uh, uh, or even trying to expand their leadership ability within their family or in their community. So anything you have about that after the break would really be appreciated. But for right now, Paul, take it away. Well, we're going to give you one quick thought here that uh, plays into what we've been talking about here today. Our two hosts have lived extraordinary lives and been extraordinary entrepreneurs, and Robert White, certainly one of them. He mentors extraordinary entrepreneurs and executives just like you, people who want better results in their leadership performance. He shows them how to turn those results into increased personal joy and satisfaction as well. Robert founded and led two large training industry success stories. He's been there and done that, and his experience will help you find and achieve that extraordinary success you seek in your life. So why wait? Reach out and see what Robert can do for you today. Just email him at robert at extraordinarypeople.com. Robert at extraordinarypeople.com. And start living the extraordinary life you've earned. Does your company have a clear vision? Do you have the right people in the right seats? Are you consistently getting the results you want and enjoying the journey? If not, consider EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. EOS is a set of simple concepts and practical tools used by more than 100,000 companies around the world to clarify, simplify, and achieve their vision. Schedule your free 90-minute meeting with an EOS implementer at eosworldwide.com today. That's eosworldwide.com. Okay, with that, we head back to the show. So what bit of genius do you have to share with us, Beth? Well, I don't know if it's genius, Robert, but I'll, I'll get to the irony of this. So let me tell you, go back to Chad, who introduced me to you guys, right? And so when he did that, he had no idea 
that here at Mel Trotter Ministries, we were going through the EOS process. So I always find that these little ironies in life are not happenstance, right? And so we have been going through it. And I know that is what you, you know, you teach and you go through. And it is literally what I find every single time for us. We ask that question internally among our executive leadership team over and over. Do we have the right people on the right seats on the bus? And I really do think that that matters. And I think that there are so many leaders, especially leaders, who feel imposter syndrome, who ask, who ask themselves frequently, how did I get here? I can't lead. Am I a leader? Or conversely, you've got the other side of that when people, to Will's earlier point about those high Ds who just kind of come in like they're bulls in China shops. I know I actually am one. I'm trying to chill that out a little bit <laughs> the older I get. Um, I do have an S. I do have a strategy, strategy brain. But Typically, I, I come from a place of, I just want to jump and dive in with two feet and fix things. And everything in life is a balance. And so once you can understand who are our people, and let's not tax people internally who are really good at this particular facet of their job. Let's not then turn them into somebody else just because, hey, this is a really good employee, so they should now do 16 other things. No, that takes away from their giftings and skill sets. And I see it time and time again in organizations where people will say, well, this person is wearing six hats because they're just smart and they work really hard. What are we doing to those people in the organization? And what leading by example message are we saying? It's too much. It's to say, how do we really say this person is gifted in this role and this is their role? So now if we can put other people alongside them, teammates, in the right seats on the organizational bus, now, now you're getting somewhere. Now you're going to win some games. You're going to have an increase in revenue. You're going to have happier people playing the game. Wow. We ought to record that one, uh, Will. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Another commercial for EOS, actually. And, and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Beth. And, now, one of the things, one of the things in, uh, are you familiar with EOS? Yes, we've, we've gone through it. Here, you're, well, you're using it. Well, that sounds like it because one of the new things that, that we're working on now is putting that mantra together about what the EOS life is and see if you can recognize this. Everybody in the organization doing what they love doing, only what they love doing, with people they love, knowing the great contribution they are making to the business, to you know, to their to the world, uh, being being compensated uh, appropriately, and having plenty of time left over for their other passions. I mean, I don't know what anybody else really could want in the world, right? That's Those right. Those are the things that we yeah. all endeavor to do. Yes, it's amazing when that works. And I think it, it's worth every effort. Every and, effort. And, and you see, and, and one of our predictions is that our six or 700 uh, uh, implementers by 2030 will have implemented EOS in 100,000 companies. And and if you, if you uh, just assume that the average uh, company has 50 employees, the ones that we work with, that's 5 million people, not counting their families, that, that will have been impacted with this message and the techniques and tools to accomplish it. And uh, now, are you using an implementer, by the way, Beth? We are or not. Just, you're just using the book and all of that. Yeah. Yes, although now I would like to sign myself up and, and call myself an implementer internally here. I can practice. Um, 
Well, I'll volunteer, uh, Will, in case you need, have a question or two, and I think you'll find that he uh, will respond, <laughs> uh, even from uh, uh, from California. Yeah, uh, and Beth, we can talk about that too because you can sign up as an implementer, and that would be an you you could you could uh, you could do well to do that. I enjoy uh, it. I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it seems to me that what brings us together. Uh, one perhaps is the example of Christ in our lives and, and in the world, but also this entrepreneur operating system. You know, I read the book. So when I met Will, I mean, we, we had a common language to talk about right away. At, I had not seen in running my own companies, I hadn't seen anything that practical and yet inspired, uh, frankly. And I looked at, I saw so many of my mistakes Oh, it was so painful reading that book <laughs> and so wonderful. Uh, but look, I, I think people like us, uh, the obligation is to share more, to be more open, to open people up to what's possible when you connect to heart and spirit. And also that there are methodologies that really work a lot better in the workplace, in a family, in a in a community. So what a thrill. Well, uh, how can we support you? Uh, I mean, this has been an incredible conversation. What would you like to say to our audience uh, to wrap things up and how they can uh, maybe be in touch with you or support you? Yeah, thank you. I'd love it. So um, I actually have an LLC, fisherstrategic.com. And that is where I actually do consulting, business process consulting, much like you talked about. So I, I really, truly enjoy that. I have a lot of experience, as I mentioned, doing so. Um, so I'm happy to come in and also just, I love public speaking. So I will go to a lot of different women's events, or um, I think I mentioned next month, I'm doing an HR sort of employee engagement and retention uh, keynote. I, I just really enjoy being in a room filled with people who are curious, who want to get better, who want to say, show me how to process improve or personally improve. And I'm happy to go on that journey with them and really um, yeah, just kind of show up alongside them on a journey. So that is one way for sure. Um, also, I you know wrote a book about this whole scenario, not the EOS process, but about really becoming authentic and sort of ditching all of those expectations and labels and things that are holding you back. So I talk a lot about that. I do um, yeah, a lot of coaching and a lot of leading along that. If you were only more articulate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're amazing. And what a delight to be with you. Will, you're, you're so good at wrapping these things up. Well, I just I want to say just... thank you. Yeah, I think it's really important that we discover and hold up the many people right now in this time of transition, because this is not only the great resignation and the great reshuffle, it's also a time of great shift, because we're paying attention to each other in ways that we haven't had to do it before. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that you picked up on or as we're talking about is the old kind of management was you do what I tell you to do and I'll keep paying you. And, and, and I think the response to that today is I'm not even here. <laughs> so if you want me to work with you, you're going to have to pay attention to me in a whole different way. And, you know, uh, uh, it was like seven years ago, I had one of the, the great um, uh, experts on managing millennials from uh, here in uh, in Orange County, California, at the Lutheran University at Concordia. And, and he said, the problem is not the millennials. 
The problem is the managers. They don't know how yet know how to manage. And it really does have to do with asking a lot of questions, paying attention, and, and ultimately asking what do they love doing and what they're great at and helping them find that. So I think we're all in a great shift here. And I really appreciate your voice. Uh, and especially in the place that you are are, are, are acting right now in uh, helping people to pay attention to folks who for many, many different reasons wind up being homeless and uh, need the support. So mm -hmm. thanks so much for being who you are and doing what you're doing. Likewise, thank you guys for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. So long, Beth. Thank you. All righty, take care. There you have it. Another great example of why you got to tune in. Overhear some conversations with maybe some not so famous but real achievers like our guest today. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. Streaming live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center. 